Capital Theatres in association with the Traverse Theatre presents When the Sun Meets the Sky by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse. Episode 2. You got your cuppa? Good. Set yourself down. Now, Maggie's life has chapters. Like in a book. Different parts, different places, different times. And this chapter happens 15 or so years after we last saw Maggie in bed at Sick Kids. With that question, she still has no answer to about the boy with the blonde hair open mouth stare and eyes dark like a shark. Who is he? Any ideas? I was as stumped as a chopped down tree at this point when I first heard the story. I bet you're cleverer than me, though. Who, Who is, is he? he? And that question has echoed on the edge of Maggie's mind until now. October 1964. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever woken up on the pavement on Lothian Road to the half-seven sun? Maggie has. She's waking up right now, actually. Oh, it's chilly. Green turning to brown, pavements glistening, fingers in desperate need of gloves. She's here because she needs to be. She missed them last time and there's no way on earth she's missing them again. So she's camped out under a tartan rug the night before to make sure there's not even the slightest possibility. She hasn't exactly been honest with her mum about where she is. They've been arguing a lot recently. Her mum's drinking has been getting worse. But it's always particularly bad this time of the year. A casual observer like you or me would think it's the colder nights that make her mum cling to the bottle. But Maggie knows it was October when her dad died in the war and that that's the real reason. Maggie's 25 but has never moved out. As long as you're under my roof, it's my rules. That's why Maggie's told her mum that she was going to stay with her friend Nancy, but here they are out in the cold on Lothian Road. Today's about being here, experiencing it. It's about telling people 50 years later, I was there, I saw them, in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, the best city in the world, especially if you have a ticket for the Beatles. Thousands of screaming wee lassies just like them will line the streets over the next day. Many of them will just be there to catch a glimpse. But Maggie and Nancy are going inside because they have tickets. Maggie's wide awake, but Nancy's still conked out. Come on, you're going to miss it. Paul, I love you, don't leave me. What? Nancy jolts awake. What, eh? Nothing, eh? What have I missed? I'm just kidding. You've no missed anything. It's only the crack of dawn. Maggie and Nancy shugle against the railings, thermos flasks in hand. 
Dawn becomes morning, becomes afternoon, becomes evening. There's an atmosphere of jubilation. It's akin to victory in Europe Day, or when Hearts won the double in 59, or even Hibs lifting the Scottish Cup, if your imagination can stretch to such a thing. But this isn't war or football, this is something bigger. Beatlemania has arrived in Edinburgh. The queue is coiled around the ABC cinema like a snake, wrapped right round from Morrison to Semple Street, and Maggie's got a plan. Nancy, I have a plan. A plan? A plan, Nancy. Not another one. What? What, Australia again? (laughs) You're always dreaming of us moving to Australia. This plan is real, and it's going to make tonight the best night of our lives. You see them? Maggie points to the couple in front, dressed in matching drainpipe jeans like a marchment Hepburn and Jagger. See how close we are, almost touching, right? Maggie has a wee bit of trouble in her eye as she gently, but purposefully, strokes Jagger's denim jacket, firm enough to make Nancy giggle mischievously, and likely enough so Jagger doesn't notice. She's playing with fire. Tonight, we're going to touch Ringo and Paul. Paul, me, touch? Oh, Maggie. Not like that, you dafty. I know the bouncer, Ian. We're like the fourth row from the front, right? Well, see if we can get to the front by the end of the concert. Ian's going to lift us forwards and onto the stage. What? Yep. You, me, George, John, Ringo. (laughs) You love Ringo? And Paul. (laughs) I love Paul. Maggie winks at Nancy. Out of the corner of her eye, somebody passes her and without consciously thinking about it, her body pulls in that direction so she can see who it is. Maggie sees a man, around her age, walking past her. She can't quite see if she knows him. She can just see a blonde smudge in the distance join the back of the queue. The wind picks up as it usually does in Edinburgh in October as the seasons fully transition, and Maggie pulls her jacket closer to her body. She turns back to the front with that strange sense of trying to remember something but not knowing what it is you're trying to recall, like a fragmented déjà vu. Then... The spiralling crowd starts slithering into the building like a wound-up toy that's just been released. The screaming starts to intensify. The noise comes shooting along the line like a wave. A message to those at the back that it's time to go in. Maggie squeezes Nancy's arm. It's happening! Oh, it's happening! As the queue edges closer to the entrance, there's an ever-increasing sense of euphoria. Inside, it feels like a carnival. There's even an American burger van at the back, selling hamburgers and hot dogs. And there's people from all walks of life, all generations making their way through the Art Deco Auditorium, like this is the best day of their life. 
It probably is. Maggie and Nancy don't buy a burger. They don't bother buying a programme. They head straight to their seats and squidge themselves into the fourth row and wait in anticipation. Maggie can almost see every detail of the silver microphones, almost feel the leather of the drum stool, almost taste the metallic cymbals. A man struts onto the stage and the crowd go wild, but he is not George, John, Paul or Ringo. It's Bob Bain, the compere. Now let's kick off tonight with the one, the only, the Rustics! Are we at the wrong place? They're just the support act, you dafty. They'll be on next. Next act. Oh, here we go. Sounds Incorporated! Who? Put your hands together for Michael Hadler! Wish I had as much support as the Beatles! Give a warm applause for the Remo Four! The Remo Four? We want the Fab Four! Now, here we go! Tommy Quickly! For falling out Wendy's! I'm honoured to be introducing to you the one, the only, Mary Wells. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. They watch Bob Bain come on and off seven times. But the crowd's so wound up, they don't know what they're going to to at. Every time he comes on, they think it's going to be the Beatles. But isn't he? They should have bought a bloody programme. Are you ready for the band you brought your tickets to see? Come away the toilet. All the way from Liverpool. I can hold it. The Beatles. Screams erupt like wee mini volcanoes fill in the cinema. So loud it's deafening. John and George saunter on first, waving to the crowd, guitars in hand followed by Paul, who strides through the curtain, clutching his bass. And then Ringo takes his seat at the kit with his drumsticks in hand. You love Ringo? I love Ringo! Aye, that's what I said. What? Nothing. What? The Liverpudlian lads are on stage in Edinburgh in their sharp grey suits, looking like they've stepped out of a Time magazine cover shoot. But this isn't seeing the Beatles on paper or through a TV screen or something. This is real life. As a few thousand people collectively scream and shout louder than they've ever done before. It's pure ecstasy in the auditorium. It's fever pitch. The noise has a weight to it. The pressure seemed to grasp Maggie's temples, push down and not let go. It's what she imagines flying must be like. A visceral, extraordinary sensation, an out-of-body experience. Maggie puts her arm round Nancy, bouncing up and down on their seats. And when she looks at her friend, she sees wild delight in her eyes. She's never seen Nancy like this. 
John Lennon says something through the microphone and although no one can hear a word above the noise, the din gets even louder just at the mere separation of his lips. Then the music starts. The band plunge into twist and shout. Or at least Maggie sees them start to sing and play their instruments, but all she can hear are screams. The audience drowns out any lyrics or rhythm or tune. But that doesn't matter to those watching. They came to see the Beatles, not hear them. As the first song finishes, a shower of jelly babies pelt the stage. Paul laughs his head off. He's probably experienced this a hundred times by now, but he looks like a man living every second like it's new to him. Ringo picks a jelly baby up for the top of his kick drum, holds it aloft to the crowd, chucks it high in the air and catches it in his mouth. The audience roars as if he's a hero and Ringo grins as he chews it. Maggie can see him right in front of her and it is a dream come true. The band speed through their set, hitting every song the crowd want and more. Money, that's all I want. Can't buy me love. Things we said today. I'm just happy to dance with you. I should have known better. If I fell, I want to be your man. And right near the end, a hard day's night. Ooh! Maggie! Maggie! It's your favourite! Maggie turns to Nancy to tell her that it's time for the plan. But she realises she's lost her voice from the singing and screaming. So Maggie just elbows Nancy. The plan! Maggie nods. The plan! She points towards the stage where Ian the Bouncer gives them a quick and decisive thumbs up. It's happening. It's now or never. Maggie and Nancy shuggle their way along the row, past some very angry fans who are in utter disbelief that their view has been blocked for even a second. But they've got it in their heads that they're getting on that stage and nothing can stop them. And as Maggie elbows people out the way to get to the other side, her eyes meet the eyes of a man not turned towards the front like the rest of the audience, but facing directly towards her, staring at her. And she stops dead in her tracks. The man from outside. Blonde hair, open mouth stare, eyes dart like a shark. Features that make him instantly recognisable. Even after all these years, time moves backwards and through a kaleidoscope. Maggie sees images of a boy and girl playing in the meadows, climbing lampposts and chasing each other through the streets of Edinburgh. Are these memories? Through the prism of flashing images, she sees the boy, older now, moving towards her. She's back in the ABC, and this man, this stranger, is coming towards her. And the space between them becomes super important. Her mind tells her that this is sink or swim. She remembers what her mum said all those years ago about the little boy. You stay away from him. 
He's dangerous. That boy is dangerous. Do you hear me? And he is a man now. Maggie's instincts kick in, and she does what anyone would do if they were face to face with a shark. She swims. Wading back along the road, crashing into Nancy and onto the laps of the people that she's already squeezed past and they are becoming even more annoyed that their once-in-a-lifetime experience is being ruined by two women obstructing their view again. But that doesn't matter to Maggie because the boy, the man, is moving towards her. Something about the urgency with which he is trying to get to her scares her. She panics. She clutches Nancy's hand and they scamper backwards down the row as the man continues to propel himself towards them. Kicking drinks over, standing on bags and placing hands on laps for balance as they bound towards the exit. It's a total rammy. Even John, Paul, George and Ringo's eyes are drawn towards the commotion. And when Maggie and Nancy reach the end of the row, they tumble into the aisle. But they're still in open water. Maggie looks behind her and to her horror sees that the man has caught up and is directly behind her. And just as he reaches out, Nancy grabs Maggie's hand and they run towards the stage. They're given a swift foot up by Ian the bouncer and they are hoisted out of the crowd. There's a jarring perspective shift for Maggie and her sight is momentarily blocked by bright white lights. As her eyes adjust, she sees she's above the crowd and appreciates for the first time the vastness of the hall and the sheer volume of people crammed inside. She looks for our pursuer, but can't see him. He's disappeared amongst the sea of faces. Her heart is racing. No, because she is two feet from John Lennon. Her heart is racing because she was two seconds away from the unknown man reaching her. Nancy has collapsed in a heap in front of Paul, looking up adoringly, arms outstretched towards him like he's a god in a Renaissance painting. Tonight we'll stay with Maggie for the rest of her life. The atmosphere will stay with her the grease suits and the jelly babies. What'll definitely stay with her is the next day, when her mum blows a gasket after seeing Maggie's face on the front page of the evening news, a picture of her on stage with the Beatles. But the thing that'll stay with her most is how, just like the first time she saw the boy, who is now a man, he vanished as suddenly as he appeared, once again. And every time she thinks about that night, the same question returns. Who is that man? When the Sun Meets the Sky was written by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse, with dramaturgy by Eleanor White. Composition, sound design and mixing was by Van Ives, with additional sound recording by Ruri Dunn, directed by Jack Nurse. With Tam Dean Byrne. Maggie was played by Rebecca Lumsden. Maggie's mum was played by Irene Allen. 
Nancy was played by Rohanna MacDonald. With cameos played by participants from Capital Theatre's dementia-friendly community. Ian Lawrence. With thanks to the members of the Capital Theatre's dementia-friendly community, whose life stories and expertise contributed to the making of When the Sun Meets the Sky. Accompanying sensory resource boxes are created by Dr Alex Howard and Dawn Irvin. To request a sensory box, see the details on Capital Theatre's website. The play was funded by Creative Scotland and Doily Cart Charitable Trust. Capital Theatres is a registered Scottish charity number SC018605. The Traverse Theatres Scotland Limited is a registered Scottish charity number SC002368 and is supported by Creative Scotland and the City of Edinburgh Council.